Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee and he saw four fishermen and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And he still calls us to follow him today, doesn't he? And I'm glad that you have answered his call to come and be here today as we worship our Lord together. Our, our pastor, Brother Tom, is uh, in Macedonia uh, visiting with his son and daughter-in-law who are missionaries there and most of all visiting with those precious grandchildren that he has there in Macedonia. And so we want to be praying for him and Paula that God will keep them safe uh, while they're there and that they will, he will bring him home safely uh, back to us because we miss him when he's gone. I told him, I said, hey, Tom, don't worry about anything while you're gone. I said, you remember back in Mayberry how smooth Barney kept everything when Andy went to Mount Pilate? So I sort of feel like Barney with Andy out of town, right? But, Stu, that makes you goober. I'm sorry, man. You're, you're, you know, so, hey, here we are. <laughs> we're, we're here. But we're glad you're here today. You know, it's like, you know, the shepherd's gone, and uh, you're left with a sheepdog. But I'm glad that you came to, to, uh, to church today. If you have your Bibles today, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Jude. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to be in Jude. Okay. Tom made me promise I wouldn't preach in Jude. I said, I'm going to finish your Jude while you're going. He said, you better not. You won't have a job when I get back. You leave Jude alone. Okay. So we're going to turn from Jude uh, to James. Uh, that should be familiar with you because we study James all through the summer in our small groups. James chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1 of James chapter 4. I know you just got settled, but would you stand with me just for a moment while we read these scriptures together? Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore he said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word through James. Father, help us now to be not just hearers of the word, but to, do, but to um, be doers as well. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I was thinking last week during our special time of prayer, does it, does it seem like sometimes you want to ask yourself, whatever happened to prayer? It's, it seems we don't talk about it as much anymore. It, it, it seems that maybe we don't do it as much anymore. So someone said that it seems like there are many organizers, but few agonizers. There, there are many who play, but uh, few who pray. It seems like over these past few years that, that churches have become more activity centers than they've been centers of power and prayer. 
survey was done just a few years ago. And at first I didn't want to believe the results, but the more that I've talked to people, the more I, I believe the results are true. The, it was a survey of, of how much time in a week does the typical Christian spend in prayer. And you know that the survey came back that the typical Christian spends five to ten minutes a week in prayer. The survey goes on a little further. It surveyed pastors. How much time in a day do pastors spend in prayer? And the survey said that the average pastor spends five to ten minutes a day in prayer. Now, if that survey is correct, if that survey is representative of the church today, if that survey is representative of Indian Springs Baptist Church, that the typical Christian prays five to ten minutes a week, the typical pastor pays, prays five to ten minutes a day. Is it any wonder that there's so little power in our churches today? Is there any wonder that there is, is, is so, much, uh, uh, so many spiritual battles in, in which we seem to be defeated in? One of the greatest examples of prayer in all of, of Christian history is a man by the name of George Mueller. Tony loaned me a book on George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 1800s, the 19th century in Bristol, England. And, and God laid it on George Mueller's heart to start an orphanage because there were so many kids in, in England that uh, had no mom and dad and, and they were just basically street kids and God laid it on his heart to start an orphanage. But he also laid something else on his heart that was a little bit unusual. He said, not only do I want you to start this orphanage, but I don't want you to ever ask anybody for money. Instead, what I want you to do is every time you have a need, I want you to pray. And you just pray and you just ask me, but you don't let anybody know that you have a need. And so he began this orphanage. There were times when he would just be out for a walk. And someone would come alongside him and ask him what he did. And he told him that he ran an orphanage for kids. And people would just say, well, here, here's 10 pounds. Or here's five shillings or whatever it was. One of the greatest stories, I believe, from George Mueller was a time not long after he had started and he had all of these kids and he got them around the table and, and they had absolutely no food to eat that night for supper. But he got the kids around the table and they, they noticed, they looked, and he said, well, where's the food? And he said, let's go ahead and thank God for the food. And there was no food in the house. And as they were about to bow their heads to pray, all of a sudden, there was a knock on the door. And George Mueller went to the door, and at the door was a baker who said, Mr. Mueller, I'd had an order for all of these loaves of bread at the last minute. The party was canceled, the order was canceled, and I've got all of this bread. Can you use it? And so they brought the bread in, and they put it on the table. And then again, as they were about to bow their heads and thank God for the bread, there was a, another knock on the door. And George Mueller got up and went to the door. The story told him. He opened it up and there was a guy who, who had a, drove a milk wagon. He was a dairy farmer. And he said, Mr. Mueller, my milk wagon has broken down and it's loaded right outside in front of your building. It's loaded with milk. 
and it's going to spoil if I don't give it to someone soon. Could you by chance use some milk? And all of a sudden as they sat down at the table, what they had none, all of a sudden they had bread and they had milk. And every day in George Mueller's life, he learned to depend on God. By the t- at one point in his ministry, they had over five orphanages that, and managed to minister to about 10,000 kids. When George Mueller died in his possession, he had a grand total. His net worth was like 60 pounds. But every day he had trusted God, and as God gave, he invested it in that orphanage. And he never, ever told anyone of any need. Instead, though, every day he took it to God in prayer. I wonder what our lives would be like if we took things to him in prayer instead of trying to fix everything ourselves. Here, here in James chapter 4, we, we, we see a couple of things. First of all, we see the problem of unoffered prayer. We see the problem of unoffered prayer. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Could it be that our greatest sin is the sin of prayerlessness? Could it be that our greatest failure as churches today is our failure to pray? It's been attributed to Corey Ten Boom who said, Is prayer your spare tire or your steering wheel? Is it your last resort or is it your first option? You see, I'm afraid that sometimes we treat prayer like it's if it's wrapped and said, Only open in case of emergency. And it's like we try everything we can and we do everything we can do and we tell everybody else. And then when we have no other options, we finally go to God in prayer. That is totally backwards, isn't it? Because what did Jesus say to his disciples in John chapter 15? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not apart from me, you can do a few things. But apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Why do you rise up early and toil late? Without God, we can do nothing. But here James is reminding them, you have not because you ask not. There's the problem of unoffered prayer. Now, Now, why should we pray? Well, I believe there are at least three results of prayer. Okay. First of all, when we pray, we receive the peace of God. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, he said, Be anxious for nothing. Instead, in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have the peace of God. Would you agree that we live in, in a, a, a world of turmoil? I mean, it's pretty stressful out there, right? You know, and and when, we, when we fail to pray, you know what happens? We feel overrun, overwhelmed, beaten down, pushed around, defeated, all of those things. We have no peace because we haven't spent time with God in prayer. 
But not only when we pray do we get the peace of God, but when we pray, we experience the power of God. We, we unlock the, the power of God and of all the things that God has. You know that God says, I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or even think. He, he is an, an all-powerful God. But when we don't pray, there's no power. Because prayer is what flips the switch of God's power in our life. But not only is there the peace of God and the power of God, but when we pray, we get to experience the very presence of God. Because after all, prayer is just talking to God. Prayer is just communication. Prayer is, is all about our, our relationship with Him. And when we pray, we have the peace and, and we have the power and we have the presence of God. But yet James here says you have not, you don't have those things because you ask not. You don't have those things because you're not praying. Think about it for a moment. How much time do we spend talking to people about our problems? And how much time do we spend talking to God? You know God's a wonderful counselor. He's the best psychologist you'll ever find, and he won't charge you $100 an hour. He's always there. The line's never busy. We, we used to sing a song. I won't sing it for you. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. It's like God saying, here it is. Here I am. The phone's never busy. And yet we have not because we ask not. The busier we are, the more we need to pray. The more we have going on, the more we need to carve out of our schedules opportunities to pray. The problem is an offered prayer. And the sin of prayerlessness. But not only is there the problem of unoffered prayer, but, but James tells us about something here. He tells us about the presumption of unacceptable prayer. He said, you have not because you ask not. But then in verse 3, he goes a step further. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see, for some, prayer is looked on as sort of like being some sort of spiritual magic wand that you wave. It's almost as if we want to treat God like He's some genie in a bottle. And that prayer is nothing more than asking God or demanding things from God and then God would give it to us. In fact, I've heard many say that when you name something and you claim something, you name it and you claim it in the name of Jesus, then God is obligated to give it to you if you have faith. God is not obligated to do anything for me. He is God. I'm not. 
And when we turn prayer into a weapon that we use to get God to do what we want, we've become God and made him the servant, right? That's not what the scripture teaches about prayer. You see, sometimes the way that God answers your prayer is by simply saying no. Because sometimes the things we pray for are not in God's will. James said, you have not because you ask not. And then even when you do ask, you don't have because you ask amiss. You ask in the wrong way for the wrong stuff. You see, sometimes when I pray, it's not God's will. The request is wrong, and so God says no. Sometimes when I pray, the timing's not right. God says slow. Sometimes when I pray, I'm not right, and God says grow. But sometimes when the request is right, the timing's right, I'm right, God says go, and he grants the request. But it's all up to him as the, as the sovereign God. We don't treat prayer like spoiled kids in Walmart. Where we demand things from God and then we get mad and upset if God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want him to. I'm thankful that God has said no to some of my requests for prayer. Because you see, sometimes... Our prayers, we forget that the purpose of prayer is not to get God to do my will, but to get me in line to do God's will. You see, there, 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 there are two problems here with, with unacceptable prayer. There, there, there are two things that, that uh, would cause our prayers not to be answered. The first of, first of them is a selfish motive. He said, you have not. Because you ask not, and then you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, prayer, is again, is not just some sort of genie in a, in a bottle. We have to examine our motives. I mean, we go to the Lord's Prayer. We, we can ask ourselves, is it... Is it uh, Will it bring glory to him? Does it advance his kingdom? Is it a part of his will? Will it benefit others? Will it help me to grow spiritually? All those things. See, sometimes requests are just not God's will. Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. You see, this, this prosperity gospel that is so prevalent today, by the way, that is just an American thing. You don't see it all around the world. It's just an American take on things. Whereas basically when we pray, God is obligated to bless. God does bless. We know that. Think about it for a moment. What if the only time you ever heard from your kids was when they wanted something? There was a friend of mine in Little Rock, right above his telephone, he had a little note. It was a retired guy that said, money's not everything, but it keeps the children in touch. Do you ever feel like that as a parent? Like you don't hear, well, well, you know, I got this or this or this. Well, think about it with our Heavenly Father. If the only time he ever hears from us 
Oh, Lord, my name's Jimmy. I want all you'll give me. Lord, my name's Ray. I want it all today. And we're always just asking. That's our entire prayer life. It's just asking God for more, 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 more. Prayer is more than that. It is a way that God meets our needs. But it's not some magic spiritual want. Selfish motives will cause our prayers not to be answered. Another thing he mentions here that will cause our prayers not to be answered is spiritual adultery. He says, you adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What's he saying here? Gang, you can't walk on both sides of the fence and have an effective prayer life. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. One of the biggest challenges we have in America today is what some are calling a cultural Christianity. Where it's not only popular, but it's all also expected for people to pray a prayer and join a church and attend worship services. But then basically, the other 166 hours a week, they live like they want to. And there's no different in the way they live and the way the rest of the world lives. Again, that's not true all over our world today. Heard a story this week of a, of a man coming. There was a person visiting in a foreign country where it cost something to be a Christian. And as he was there, he noticed one of the people being baptized bringing in a suitcase. And he said to the pastor there, he said, oh, is he bringing a change of clothes for the baptism? And he said, no, he's bringing everything he's got in that suitcase. Because he knows that once he's baptized today, he has no home anymore. He has nowhere to go. He has no family. When he decides to follow Christ, his family's done with him. See, some places in our world today, we know the, they know the cost of following Jesus. And yet we're faced with a cultural Christianity. In which it's popular, it's expected. But yet we want to live like the world Monday through Saturday and then come worship the Lord on Sunday. And James says when you do that, you're committing spiritual adultery. And your prayers will not be answered. See, the ultimate purpose in prayer is to grow in our relationship with God. It's a... It's a communication with him John warns us not to love the world or the things in the world because all the things of the world they're, they're, they're at enmity with God John tells us all those things are passing away James tells us the same thing here their prayers were not answered because again even in their prayers they were selfish he's not some genie in a bottle Guy was walking along the beach one day and he noticed there in the sand something and he reached down and he, he picked up this bottle and he was polishing it off and this genie comes out. And the genie said, you found me, you've set me free from the bottle, I will now grant you one wish, what do you want? And the man said, well, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm afraid to fly. Would you build a road from California to Hawaii? And the genie said, 
That's a lot. You think of all the concrete and the steel and all that we'd have to have to a road from California to what? Can't you think of something easier than that? And he said, well, okay, my second wish is, could you help me understand my wife? And the genie said, do you want that road two-lane or (laughs) four-lane? You see, when we go to God, it's not that he's not able to grant every request that we have. It's not that, he's, that he doesn't love us and doesn't care about us. But God can look at our heart. And he knows whether our desire is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or if our desire is just to use him to advance ourselves and advance our lives here on this earth. God said it doesn't work that way. There's the problem of unoffered prayer, but there's the presumption of unacceptable prayer. Well, very quickly, let's look at at what's positive in this passage. Because we've been been a little bit negative, but let's look at the positive. Let's look at the principles of undeniable prayer. First of all, as we pray, what are those principles that that help us in our prayer to God? First of all, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 says there, don't you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Notice the Spirit lives in you and me. And the Holy Spirit is our helper in prayer. When God saved you, He came to live within you. And from the inside, he demands control of your life so that instead of you living, now it's him living through you. And when we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, Romans tells us that he becomes our helper in prayer. He helps us to know what to pray for. And when the Holy Spirit is helping us to pray, we're not always just praying about ourselves. Now, it's not wrong to pray about ourselves. But there's so much more in the, in the whole arena of prayer than just gimme, 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 gimme. Or Lord, get me out of this mess that I've gotten myself into. Or help, Lord, I'm, I'm in an emergency. So much more than that. The Spirit is our helper. But you know what the Holy Spirit does as we pray? Another role of the Holy Spirit is He convicts. John chapter 16, verse 8, Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. You see, with the Holy Spirit living within me, when I begin to pray, you know the first thing that He begins to make me aware of is my sin. And He makes me aware of my sin, not so He can make me feel bad, but He makes me aware of my sin so that I'll confess it. Because the scripture says that if we'll confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about a relationship that you have. Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse or your parents or your children or friend or even someone in church and there's something between you. Maybe you've had, a, had an argument, maybe a fight, maybe a crossword, whatever it might be. As long as that is there, that relationship is not what it ought to be, right? You have to deal with that, right? And it's the same with our relationship with God. Psalm 66, 18 says, Therefore, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You, you just can't, we just can't run around in, in sin, living like we want to live, and expecting to have a clear line of communication to God in prayer. He wants to hear that prayer of confession. 
He wants to hear us repent and turn from our sin. He wants, us to, he wants to see that He's first place in our lives. That's why the Scripture says that you've got to submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit as He helps us to pray, as He convicts us, brings to light our sin, and then we submit to God. That word to submit for submit, it means to get in your proper rank. We're, we're collecting things for the servicemen and women. You don't go on to a military base and see the guys in basic training telling the drill sergeant what to do. They don't say, you know, Sarge, I think we'll just sleep a little later in the morning. I don't think we need to run quite as far as we've been running. I don't think we need to march quite as much as we've been. And I think we need to do something about this food. I believe it needs to be a little better. That doesn't happen, does it? Because they, everybody understands their rank, where they are. And when the scripture says that we're to submit to God, it literally means to get in the rank and recognize His authority. That he has complete and total authority over my life. Now while he gives me the opportunity and the privilege to boldly come before his throne of grace. I still come in subjection and submission to the king of kings and the lord of lords. I don't come demanding and pouting and wanting my way. I come submitting to him. And as I submit to God, I resist the devil and he flees. There must be that submission to God. And then we've already covered it, but there must be that separation from the world. Now this doesn't mean that we're perfect. But it does mean that, and that I have to expect and come to understand that I can't live any way I want to live and expect my, my prayers not to be hindered. It's important that we are separate from the world because prayer is all about our relationship with God. We ought to be as focused on developing our relationship, more focused on developing our relationship with God than we are developing our relationship with others. Let me ask you a question. Do you think your life would be better if you spent as much time praying as you did on Facebook? Do you think your life would be better if you spent as much time praying as you do on the internet? Do you think that your life would be better, I'll have to say this for me, if I spent as much time praying as I do watching football? We know that with our minds. But why don't we do it? We have to separate. We have to set apart time to spend with God. And then finally, there has to be sorrow from sin. He says, you need to draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There, there needs to be that, that sorrow for sin in our lives. You see, as we draw near to God, the scripture says he will draw near to us. He, he said through Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. He said, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
You see, we're pretty, we're pretty good at learning to fake people out. You know, we can put on our church clothes, and we can put on our church face, and we can put on our church language, and we can put on our church smile, and we can live and act just like, hey, we're super spiritual people. And we can fool people. But don't try to fool God. He knows. Because the scripture says he doesn't look as a man looks. He looks at the heart. He looks right to the very innermost part of our life. So it's foolish to try to fool him. Instead, he says we ought to cleanse our hands. Paul said to Timothy he wanted all men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. That means we've confessed our sin. We've turned from our sin. He, he talks about our, our divided hearts. Trying to love God and love the world at the same time. You can't do it. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You'll love one, you'll hate the other. In fact, back in James chapter 1, when he told us to pray, he said you got to pray in faith, not doubting, because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Double-minded in, 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 in that we're trying to, again, trying to walk on both sides of the fence. He says that let not that man think he'll receive anything from God. Being sensitive to the Spirit, being submissive to God, being separate from the world and having sorrow for our sin. It's all about our relationship with Him. Think about it for a moment. I, I don't know what, what problems you're facing right now. I don't know if it's a problem in your marriage. I don't know if it's a problem with your job, a problem with your finances, a problem in a relationship. I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is. problem with your kids or your parents. I don't know. But God knows. But have you talked to him about it? sincerely, completely talk to him about it before you go talk to everybody else. I'm not saying everybody do like George Mueller. George Mueller never let anybody know of his needs because sometimes we need to go to brothers and sisters in Christ to help us. But we don't need to go to other people for help until we first talk to God about it. And then it's not just about our needs. But it's about the needs of others. You know how my dad became a Christian one of the ways, one of the things that God used? Because my mother was a Christian. She took us to church as preschoolers. My dad was not a believer. He didn't come from a Christian family at all. But I remember as a seven or eight-year-old boy that after church, not during the service, after church on Sunday night, after the service was over, People would stay for prayer. And they would come down to the front of the church and they would put them old folding metal chairs. They'd put a folding metal chair right there in the front. And they would ask if anybody knew of a person who wasn't saved that they wanted them to pray for. And they would ask that person to come and sit in that chair. And I remember my mama 
going and sitting in that chair. And that church on Sunday night after church, gathering around her and praying for my daddy who wouldn't come to church. And a few weeks later in a revival meeting, on a Tuesday night, my daddy came to church. And when the invitation was given, my dad walked the aisle with tears in his eyes. Because a wife loved him enough to pray for him. And a church loved him enough to pray for him. And he came to know Christ. That's the power of prayer. All the blessings that God has given to us. What if we just spent time thanking God for all he's given to us? Instead of just always asking him for more. Because you don't deserve all the blessings you have. You didn't earn all the blessings you have. Scripture tells us even the ability to work comes from God. Everything we have is a, is, is a direct gift from Him. Maybe we, we just need to spend some time thanking Him for what we already have. Wouldn't that be great, parents? Your children just come out and say, Hey, I just want to thank you for all the things you've given me. Instead of, can I borrow the keys to the car tonight? Wouldn't that be nice? God's blessed us so much. I was mentioning to Donna the other night. I said, did you ever in your wildest dreams think that God would bless us the way that he has? Do you know what she said? She said, you're not in my wildest dreams. She didn't really say that. I'm sorry. I won't get in trouble for even saying that, right? She did not say that. But most of us in our wildest dreams, we would not have imagined God blessing us the way that he has. Why don't we just spend time thanking him? And praying for others. Praying for ourselves. I want to ask you something. I want to ask you to do something. Bow your head just for a moment with me. Real, real quick, Stu's, Stu's going to be coming to lead us. I want to ask you to think of a time and a place. A time and a place where daily you can get along with God. A set time every day, a set place every day. Now, we know that we're to pray without ceasing. We're to pray all through the day, all that other stuff. But if you don't set a time and a place, if you don't put that on your calendar, if you don't make that a part of your priority, if you don't make that a part of your daily life, you'll never get around to doing it. If you don't put him first, then you won't pray. So what is that time? What is that place? Maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe it's late at night. Maybe it's on your lunch hour. I don't know. But whatever it is, as it comes to your mind right now, would you just, you and God right now, would you commit to say, Lord, I'm going to meet you at that time in that place in prayer every day this week? Now, now don't think you've got to have three, four, five hours, okay? 
Just set aside 15 minutes. Guarantee you, you start with 15, it won't be long. You'll be having to set an alarm clock because you'll go way over your limited your amount of time. But start with something. Spending time with God and just let it grow. Because there are weeks that I would be ashamed to tell you how little time I spend in prayer. And it's not during weeks where I've been lazy. It's during weeks where I've been busy. But I got busy doing secondary stuff and forgot the most important. When's that place? When's that time that you can meet with God every day? Would you commit to Him, to meet Him there every day this week? Just a moment, we're going to stand. Obviously, if God's spoken to your heart, if you want to become a Christian, today's the day. Come forward. We have folks that will pray with you and help you know how to, how to become a Christian. Some of you, you've, you've been a Christian already, but you've never followed the Lord in baptism like we studied about in Sunday school today. And you know that this is the church where God wants you to be. And you want to take that next step of obedience and be baptized. We invite you to come today. Maybe your church membership somewhere else, but you know this is the church where God wants you to serve and you want to come and be a member of this church. You've already been baptized. You're already a believer, but you want to officially be a part of Indian Springs. Again, we invite you to come. But maybe today you have a real need in your life. And it's ongoing and it's unresolved. Maybe you just want to step out and come to the altar and pray and give it to God and say, God, I commit that I'm going to pray about this, just you and me, every day from now on. Lord, I want you to know my heart. I mean business. Forgive me for my lack of prayer in the past, and I commit to praying about this in the future. The altar's open for you to come and do that if you want. As we stand together to sing, Stu's going to lead us. You step out and come as God speaks. you've done I will thank you for all that you're going to do for all that you promised all that you are it's all that has carried me through Jesus I thank you and I thank you thank
that you've done, I will thank you for all that you're going to do. For all that you promised and all that you are, it's all that has carried me through. Jesus, I thank you. Yes, I thank you. Still time for you to come right now. Yes, I thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving and setting me free. Thank you for giving your life just for me. How I thank you, Jesus, I thank you. time. Thank you for loving and setting me free. Thank you for loving and setting me free. Thank you for giving your life just for me. How I thank you, Lord. Jesus, I thank you. Gratefully thank you. Yes, I Hey, I want to introduce you to Lexi. Lexi, would you come by, come up here and stand by me? Lexi and her parents uh, coming today to Lexi shared that this past Wednesday, they're at her home with her mom and dad. Uh, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she knows that he lives in her heart and that his blood on the cross covered her sin. And so she comes today wanting to follow the Lord in baptism. And I know that all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And I'm going to ask Lexi if she will just to stand.